Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Like-Minded. I'm your host, Cami Pons, and I'm super excited because I have my first host, no, not host, guest ever, Julia DeCecco. Um, we went to high school together. We also played water polo together, which I would like to forget sometimes because it was very brutal. But... I'm super, super excited. We're talking about a relevant topic. Let me give a little bit of context about Julia. She is a registered dietitian based in the Philadelphia area. She has a variety of experience in the field of dietetics, including critical care, dialysis, and private practice nutrition. Julia's philosophy is that nutrition should complement your lifestyle, not control it. And she advocates for body acceptance promotes food freedom, and actively challenges diet culture. What an intro. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm very happy to be here and talk about my favorite topics. So thank you. So I wanted to stop before we kind of jump into the content and just give a little bit of a trigger warning. We'll be talking about sensitive topics related to eating, disordered eating, um, bodies. So if this is a sensitive topic for you, just to be aware before moving on and listening. And I want to jump right in and kind of get a little bit of information and context about your background and why you originally wanted to become a registered dietitian nutritionist. Yeah. So like you said, I've been a registered dietitian for three years now. Um, originally, wanted to become a dietitian in high school. I kind of developed an interest in nutrition just as a hobby. I was an athlete, like you said, we played water polo and I was a swimmer. Um, and then when I kind of made that connection between food and my performance in the pool and how I felt physically, I became really passionate about it. And when I realized I could make that into a career as a dietitian, I immediately knew that's what I wanted to do. So that's sort of how I got into it. Um, becoming a dietitian, I went to the University of Delaware for my undergrad. I did four years nutrition and dietetics. And then I went on and did my master's and my clinical internship, which is 1,200 hours of supervised practice. Wow. Um, took about a year. I did all of that, took the exam and became a dietitian in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. So sort of how I got where I am today, not didn't love every second of it. Some of it was hard, but, but I love being a dietitian. It's a very rewarding career. And what did the exam look like? Was it written or? It was on a computer and I had to take it like right in the middle of the pandemic and they kept canceling the exam and I had to reschedule it over and over. So I was so nervous to take it. But it was 140 multiple choice questions and I had to go to a testing center to take it. It was very stressful, but I did pass, thankfully, obviously. But it was probably the most stressful exam I've ever taken in my life. So, Yeah, I personally suck at standardized testing or just any mm -hmm. testing in general. I get like super bad anxiety beforehand and so, then I kind of bomb. <laughs> me too. I'm telling you, I had to put my head down at one part. I was like... I don't know if I can mentally make it through this. And thank God we got our scores back right away. Cause I know some people have to wait like a couple of yeah. weeks to like see their 
scores, but came up right away. So I knew that I passed such a relief. So I love that. Yeah. The waiting after I, it's brutal. No way. I could never do it. I'm not patient enough for that. No, neither am I. Wait, I love that. So I kind of want to like ask though, I feel like the answer is kind of obvious that, you know, because you went with secondary education and because you have your license that you have the expertise to be giving advice versus I just see so many Instagrammers, so many TikTokers that are giving advice to people about nutrition and like what to eat and what not to eat. And I just, I think it's kind of wild that they're giving advice and they're like licensed. They're not like, they don't have the knowledge or really the expertise to be giving this. So you're so right. And it's, it's like, I think it's really important to dietitians that like people know that we go through all of this education and we're required, you know, to do all of this work to get our license. And we have to constantly be doing continuing education to keep our license. So it's a lot of work. And I always like to tell people, um, you can call yourself a nutritionist if you simply have a passion or an interest in food and healthy eating. Anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. There's no regulation on the title at all. That's why, yeah, it's really important to be aware of who you're taking advice from. Mm. Um, something maybe we'll talk about later that really gets me is that a lot of people use their body as a business card. You know, if you see somebody who's really fit offering nutrition advice, probably might not be qualified to do it, but because they look a certain way, they think they have the credentials to be providing that. Um, so it's definitely important to know like where you get your information from. So I'm glad that you asked that and that you're aware of that. So to anyone that's listening, try to find a dietitian if you need nutrition advice. Wait. Not just your local your local Instagram baddie is not going <laughs> to cut it. <laughs> like no hate or shade, but like those are the people that I see, you know, trying to give advice and i feel like it's like more harmful maybe the intention is to be helpful but if you're giving advice mm-hmm. and it's like i don't know i just feel like diet and like what you eat is so unique to you and your body and it's like you can't yes. just be giving these like general tips and pointers um but yes you're so right it's so unique to every person and it's just like no no one thing's going to work for everybody so mm-hmm. you really just can't trust somebody that lost weight on their own or is genetically fit just because they have that experience doesn't mean they're qualified to be guiding other people on that. So to talk about food a little more, this first kind of topic that I really want to touch on, and I know you have a lot of experience with this. It's something that I'm personally trying to work on in my own life, but it's this idea of food freedom And what Mm -hmm. does food freedom look like in your approach? I think I have a unique perspective because I've worked with people who are what I call chronic dieters or people Mm. with disordered eating. Mm. Um, So I've worked with people like that. And then I also work with people who are chronically ill. Um, Like in dialysis, people have to follow very specific guidelines on what they eat, but in general, I think food freedom can really apply to most people. 
And it's sort of just the idea of completely breaking away from diet culture and any rules that you might have around food um, that are causing excess stress in your life. And I think I think a lot of people, if you really think about your eating habits and where they come from, I think a lot of people would say they get them from what they've learned in social media, in magazines, yes. from like wherever you read growing up or saw growing up, maybe you had a, a parent who dieted a lot or had the almond mom. Habits. <laughs> yeah, the almond mom is real. I know there's probably some almond dads out there too. <laughs> but yeah, so the idea of food freedom is just making peace with food. And I think something I would probably touch on a lot today is trusting your body. And I think a lot of like people's issues with food come down to that they can't trust themselves. They can't trust their body to regulate their weight and their appetite and their choices. But, you know, the idea with food freedom is you kind of get back to listening to your body and mindfully eating Mm. to make yourself feel good. Um, So in my approach with clients, it's like we talked about before, just very unique to each person. Kind of depends on what background you've come from, what you've tried before, what worked, what didn't work. And I think kind of the common denominator most people have is that they've had some experience with dieting or their weight fluctuating fluctuating significantly throughout their life. Yeah, I feel that. I I, I think for me, why I originally started... Well, I saw Food Freedom actually in an Instagram post, which was like... Mm-hmm kind of the first time I'd seen it. And I started like doing a little bit of research. And what really resonated with me is kind of like you said, it's like this opposite of diet culture. And I think a big thing for me is I very much restrict when it comes to the mm-hmm. food that I eat. And I almost categorize as like, this is good. And this is bad. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. he is like, quote unquote, bad. So I'll find myself using words like, it's just like a little cheat. Yes. It's just like a little, it's just like a little binge or it's just like a little like, and it's wild because I'm setting up restrictions over something that is like, okay, you eat the cookie or you don't eat the cookie. And I, and I don't know, it's like trying to disentangle the shame and the guilt about eating like quote unquote bad foods, but it's like nothing's inherently bad. I've just attached that label to it. Yes, I think that's such a good point. And I think a huge part of food freedom is kind of taking the morality away from food. Um, Like foods, you know, like think of broccoli and a brownie. Like nutritionally, they aren't the same, but morally they are the same. And you're not good or bad for choosing one over the other or eating more of one than the other. Um, So I think that's a a really interesting topic. And I also think it's food freedom is so complex because it's not, it's never just about the food. It's almost always intertwined with body image. And, you know, when we label ourselves bad for eating something unhealthy, quote unquote, then, you know, what does that go back to? Is it a fear of gaining weight? Is it a fear of something like that? So it's, just when you really dive into food freedom and intuitive eating is another like phrase you might have heard from that. 
Um, but when you really dive into that, it just becomes so much more than just like what we eat on a daily basis or what we choose not to eat. Um, cause it's almost always intertwined with the way we feel about our bodies. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. What you brought up about it stemming back to body image. And it's like, is this a fear of gaining weight and in gaining weight? Like, why is that a fearful thing for mm-hmm. me? And then yeah. I think it's like so interesting because then you tie, or at least I know I tie like my self-worth to my size. So the fear would be like, if I gain weight, then I would be less worthy or like, yeah. if I, gain weight, I would be less attractive. And it's like, that's where everything is stemming from, right? A lot of times when I'm either getting close to like dinner time, for example, or I'm going for a snack, like what I'm eating kind of consumes my thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not as simple as like, like, for example, I live with my boyfriend and for him, it's like, if he wants a snack, he'll go grab it and he'll eat it. And it's that simple. And it's like, am I some, like, I'll find myself like counting out like 55 goldfish. Like, I think I, yeah. I think that's the actual, like, <laughs> accurate serving size. Oh my gosh. I know funny. it off the top of my head, but yeah. I'll like, find myself doing these things. And it's like, mm. yeah. And that's why I love um, telling people about intuitive eating too. Yes. Um, because food freedom is really just one part of intuitive eating which is kind of the larger lifestyle that um, kind of encompasses that. And intuitive eating has 10 principles. I won't like list them all now if you want to like link it or look it up or something. But um, the principles, they range from respecting your body to making peace with food to honoring your hunger cues, exercising and moving in a way that works for you. So it's really kind of encompasses every root cause that might make you have a weird relationship with food. So I always recommend that. And um, I think it helped me a lot kind of when I was on my journey to that. I practice intuitive eating. And I think a big misconception about intuitive eating is like, and tell me if you if you think this when you hear intuitive eating, but people think if I have the freedom to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, all I'm going to do is eat junk food, fast food, sweets, candy. I'm going to like go overboard all the time. Do you feel like that's something like your initial reaction to that? I think that's definitely a popular misconception. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I mentioned this to you before. And like something I always say is like, do you, when you come back from a vacation, like, and you've been eating fast food and like you've been eating out a lot and maybe you've been like drinking a lot of alcohol do you normally crave like a salad or like feel like you need to drink a lot of water or feel like you need a smoothie or something to like reset yourself? 100%. Yeah. That's kind of what our bodies go through when we're going through food freedom and intuitive eating. Because a really hard first step of that is accepting and rejecting diet culture and rejecting your food rules. That's a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. And then the idea is that once those foods become off limit or when they're not off limits anymore and you can have them as much as you want, Mm -hmm. they don't become as special or forbidden. You know, when you tell a little kid they can't have something and they want it so much more. Well, it's the same thing, you know, when you know that you can't in your mind, you can't have sweets or you can't have this, it just becomes that much more tempting. But when everything is sort of neutral and nothing is good or bad and you're allowed to have anything you want at any time. It just loses that luster. 
And that's kind of what helps reset your body into its natural cravings and kind of resets you to a, I don't want to say a normal eating, but it resets you to the way your boyfriend would eat. And it's funny because a lot of, I think a lot more women struggle with this than men. I I know men struggle with it because I've worked with men who've struggled with it. But it is funny. You hear from a lot of girls who like live with their boyfriends or whatever. They're like, oh, he just eats what he wants. Like he'll just grab this or like he'll like be able to eat like three cookies and be done. And like, I can't open that without eating the whole thing. And it's like, well, as women, what have we been raised to learn like ever since we were little we've been seeing like top 10 tips to lose weight this is the new fad diet and it's just marketed to us so i think it's really hard to break free of all of that and it takes a lot of inner work and it takes a lot of introspection and you really have to look back into like what shaped your mind to be like this in the first place you know mm-hmm yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack. The first thing that you mentioned about like this, it, like the food that you once restricted kind of losing its luster when you mm-hmm. allow yourself to eat it. I do find when I am like eating more balanced, I won't gorge myself on yes. like... For example, like if I restricted myself for three months with no carbs, then I find that like when I do have a little taste, I like try to eat as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I'm allowing myself to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. I'll have two cookies and then I'll be like, okay, that's good. And now I'm going to, you know, have have something else. It doesn't, I don't feel that need to like, oh, let me get as much as I can. Yeah, exactly. And um Or like on the flip side, like if you go out to eat and you have a really big dinner and like you have a big dessert and then maybe the next day you're not like, you feel satisfied. You're like, okay, like I had my fill, like that felt really good. And like, I just, I don't need it. Like I need it. Like you might have needed it in the past. So I think it's really interesting how we kind of can desensitize ourselves in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, when you've your mind has been consumed for so long with thoughts of food, I think it can be scary to think about letting go of that control. Um, and a big part of that goes back to what we think it will do to our bodies. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people like intuitive eating, not super recently, but in the last couple of years, sometimes is marketed as a weight loss diet which seems weird, but it's because a lot of people who start intuitive eating will sort of reset to their natural weight. So let's just say like you are a total binge eater mm-hmm. and like you you go crazy, like you restrict, but when you binge, it's like a 3000 calorie binge. And then you start intuitive eating and you sort of regulate and you start eating three, four meals a day or whatever works for you. And you're, some people will lose weight from that because they're naturally eating less calories than they were eating when they were binging. So a lot of people get confused and think that if they start intuitive eating, it means they're going to lose weight. But very easily, the opposite can happen and you can gain weight. <clears throat> and sort of to talk about the natural weight, there's a theory called set point theory, which 
can be scary for people to hear, but the theory is that your weight is only meant to fluctuate between five and 10 pounds. I remember when I learned about that in college for the first time in one of my nutrition classes, I was like, oh my gosh, like, and I had to like face this idea in my head that I was someday going to like lose 20 pounds and keep it off. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's the thin ideal is what I like to call it because it's this idea that we have in our minds that one day we'll have the body that we've always dreamed of. And sometimes you'll catch yourself thinking about it. Like, Oh, like when I lose all this weight or when I fit into this and when you hear the set point theory, it's kind of like scary because you have to face the fear that you might never leave the current weight that you're at or, you know, and you have to make peace with your body as it is right now. And I think that's hard for people to think about, but that is a big part of food freedom and intuitive eating is respecting your body exactly where it is right now and realizing that you may never have that thin ideal moment where you finally lose all the weight mm-hmm. and like become this person that is in your fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I think once you let go of that, life becomes a lot more enjoyable, but it's definitely not a switch that flips on and off. It's something that takes a lot of time and a lot of inner work. I can remember multiple times growing up, like as young as in middle school, and I would Google like fucking Google, I would Google how to lose 30 pounds in three months. And I thought that that was like normal, like to lose 30 pounds in three months. And I would look up like, what's the most amount of weight that you can lose in a week? And it would be like five pounds. And I was like, bet I'm going to do that. And then Mm -hmm. obviously it never happened because it's like, yeah, essentially starve yourself to be, to be, you know, in that calorie deficit to be losing that. But it's crazy for you to say like, it's five to 10 when I was literally Googling and thinking in my head, I was going to lose 30 pounds in three months. I know. And of course there's going to be things that like affect your set point weight, having a baby, like it's possible that you're not going to go back down to the weight you were before you were baby. When you go from high school to being like an adult. Yes. That's one. talk about that. I know. Like you don't, you know, you look back at pictures, like when I look back at pictures, I'm like, I don't know how I ever like criticized myself at that time when I was like, literally. Yeah. literally. And if you think about it, like you probably will go through that multiple times in your lifetime where you look back at where you are right now. Like if you want to have kids someday or like, you know, as we get older, our bodies naturally gain weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might look back at yourself right now and be like, wow, what did I have to worry about? <laughs> like, I was way thinner then than I am now. So, <laughs> and it's not always the healthiest way to look at it because if you're just like, well, I might as well love myself because I might be fatter later. Like, that's obviously not a healthy mindset to have, but it does give you some perspective that, you know, we're constantly changing. But the set point theory is interesting because it kind of, reinforces that idea that you're the thin ideal the thin ideal isn't achievable for most people and i don't i won't say for everyone because you do see people and i think those are the people that kind of sometimes uphold diet culture but you do see people who've lost a lot of weight and kept it off um but you could also argue that that was their set point and they were just 
not there yet. So it's interesting. And I don't think it's like proven one way or another, but it's definitely an interesting way to, to think about things and, you know, to kind of help you wrap your mind around, maybe I'm not supposed to be 110 pounds, or maybe I'm not supposed to be that thin. Maybe I'm okay where I am right now. The idea of intuitive eating is that you'll return to whatever weight you're meant to be at because you're not actively trying to lose or gain. Mm. And that's another part of intuitive eating too that we can talk about is like hunger cues, which is a big thing. Most people don't know what their hunger cues are. They don't get hungry and they don't know when they're full. So intuitive eating sort of resets that. And that also helps get you to your set point weight. That just made me think, I was like, do I know when I'm hungry and I'm full? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like sometimes, and this is just something I'm trying to work on. Like if there's a plate of food in front of me, I'll eat the whole thing. And that will be my cue that I'm full. And many of us were growing (laughs) up, learned to clean our plate and eat every last thing on our plate. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting like to think about what kind of foods you like as an adult and what you were forced to eat as a child, you know, were you forced to eat vegetables or were you forced to eat something you didn't like or drink milk is a huge thing for a lot of people were forced to drink milk when they were a child. Now they can't do it anymore. Um, But the clean plate club is super common. And I always like to go back to the principle of honor your hunger And you can easily find like a hunger fullness scale online. And if you start practicing that every day, just kind of like thinking to yourself and thinking, okay, like, where am I? Am I at a three, which is like not super hungry, but definitely getting there? Or am I I at an eight? Like I'm starving and I need to eat. And the goal is to sort of keep yourself between a four and a six at all times. You never want to like get too hungry or you don't. And of course, you don't want to be like too full. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't figured out by now, intuitive eating and food freedom take a lot of introspection and a lot of thinking about every choice that you're making, which sounds like a lot. But if you think about it, most people who are chronic dieters are already thinking about every choice that they're making. It's already so time consuming, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's like almost ingrained into your subconscious. Yeah. I was going to say, at least this is like, at least doing the introspection doing the self-work is channeling your energy in a positive way versus fear and overthinking, which is very time consuming on its own, but it's more negative. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like that's, like a concern for a lot of people is that they're going to feel anxious about having to make these choices. Like, you know, they're going to be anxious about thinking too much about everything, but I think it's also like a big sigh of relief when you can just be like, you know, I really, I really want a cookie right now and I'm going to have it because like, I don't have to listen to any rules. And it's like simultaneously scary and relieving at the same time. And I think the goal is for it over time to just feel like nothing and to just feel like any other choice you would make, like what underwear are you going to put on that day Mm -hmm. or drinking a sip of water when you feel thirsty. It would be anything like that and not an anxiety-inducing decision. Yeah. That would be the goal. Yeah, well, I know that's my goal. 
that's like something I'm actively trying to work on, which is like why this topic is so important and like resonates really deeply with me and why I wanted to have you on as well. Cause yeah. I think like talking about it definitely helps because a lot of the time I feel super alone with food. And sometimes I think, and you know, I'm, I'm my biggest critic. That's also something I'm working on. But a lot of times I think like, oh, this is only you, right? Like I look around at other people at the restaurant eating and laughing and enjoying, and I'm like, you're the only one overthinking. And I'll just really like dig in on myself. Um, yeah. Well, it's definitely not only you. I think, and I, again, I don't want to like generalize women, but I think women in particular have a hard time with this. And I think like the term chronic dieting, I use a lot because I think pretty much every woman and a lot of men too have gone on a crash diet at least once in their lives or have like lost 10 pounds or 15 pounds and then gained all of it and then some back. And it's very demoralizing to go through those experiences. And yeah, we don't talk about them because who wants to be like, oh yeah, I did that diet and then I failed it. And now I'm like 10 pounds heavier than I was before. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's kind of a vicious cycle. And studies actually show that yo-yo dieting actually causes more weight gain than people who have never gone on a diet in their life. So it's definitely you're not alone in that, especially because if you ask anybody, I would say 90% of people have gone on a diet at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. um, and now their diets are just being repackaged as like different sort of wellness yeah. Because look at programs like Whole30 is one of them. Actually, if you Google food freedom, the first website that comes up is Whole30, which I used to know the details of this diet, but I don't anymore. But it's some sort of wellness diet that restricts a lot of food and you only do it for 30 days. So like immediately... Yo-yo diet? It is. It is. But like a lot of this is getting repackaged or like juice cleanses. I know oh. those are sort of like old school, but any sort of cleanse or even like... And as much as I like respect vegans and vegetarians, like cutting out major food groups for a short amount of time to add them back in, like none of that works. Mm -hmm. And it's just getting sneakier and sneakier. But to go back to what you said about like feeling alone, you most definitely are not alone. And I think it's really important that we talk about this stuff because most people have gone through it. And I think the more people that know about it, the less people will get preyed on by some of these, you know, wellness diet culture. Yeah. Like, this, this like rebrand as wellness, I just talked about in my most recent episode with self-care. Mm -hmm. But how, mm -hmm. like, because of like the capitalistic marketing, like they're, they're really preying on people to, you know, they're doing like the $70 juice cleanse. And then you feel like, yeah. okay, that is the answer to my prayers. Like I'll do the $70 juice cleanse and then, you know, I'll detox and I'll be on this new path to like losing a bunch of weight. And it's like so harmful because it not only sets these like wildly unrealistic expectations, 
But I feel like it just leaves people more disappointed and like disempowered in the end. And all of wellness, which is something like so sacred, it it really pisses me off. Like, and I can talk about this forever because I just see so many things, especially now on Instagram and TikTok of like all of these MLM, like weird marketing, like video like I feel like targeted at people that struggle with eating struggle with diet culture and it's just it's really disappointing yeah and a a big one like for dietitians is Noom yes I've seen that yeah so Noom is like marketed as a wellness calorie tracking non-restrictive app and if you just do a little bit of digging on there like they are prescribing like 1000 calorie 1200 calorie diets wait that's so low i might be going too low but it's not enough it's whatever the amount is it's like inappropriate for the age group that they're you know it's like way too little you ever hear like 1200 calories is the amount a two-year-old needs like you should not be prescribing that for like a grown adult do you or do you recommend or is it recommended to calorie count at all that's a good question i think And I think I haven't emphasized this enough, but like everybody's goals and lifestyle are so different and, you know, intuitive eating might not work for everybody and that's totally fine. So that being said, I think calorie counting, depending on your goals, if you are pursuing food freedom and intuitive eating, you should not be calorie counting because like what, what is that providing for you? If you get to a certain number of calories, are you going to not eat something later on? Like if your goal is 2000 calories and you've hit that, but you get hungry, what are you going to do? Not listen to your body. So if your goal is intuitive eating and food freedom, I don't recommend it. Now, of course, there's going to be people who need to lose weight or want to lose weight or want an idea of how much they're eating. And in those cases, you know, I'd never say blanket statement, don't do that because at the end of the day, it's not going to be, you know, right or wrong for everybody. But I think like calorie counting in general just does more harm than good for people who have a history of issues with food um, because it might stop you from listening to your body. Mm. And I always think that when I see influencers like, posting their what I eat in a days and like the calorie count next to it because I'm like what do you do if you like or they're like oh I hit my macros but like I'm hungry so I'm eating like ice cubes and celery like please that's not like like no like I saw a trend on TikTok that was like people were putting salt on ice cubes and just eating them because they didn't have like any calories left for the day (laughs) I haven't been down that bad yet but yeah I I generally don't recommend it because I just think it like it stops you from listening to your body. And that's that's such a big thing is like starting to listen to your body and trust your body. Yes. Because all of this like and speaking of diet culture in the media and like them preying on us like they bank on us not trusting our bodies and trusting corporations more then we trust ourselves. And yeah, like, you know, your body will not steer you wrong. It's like our bodies are set up to keep us alive and well and functioning. So 
to trust like a diet or a meal plan more than you trust your own internal cues, you're you're helping bad people profit. Maybe not bad people, but you're helping the diet culture profit. So Yes, this is like what I wanted to hit on before moving on. So this is like perfect timing with intuitive eating because you said it multiple times. It's like honoring your hunger, listening to your body. And I feel like I say it so many times on so many different episodes, but it's like each one of us, like when we realize we are the expert when it comes to our wants and our needs and ourselves, Mm -hmm. that is like unleashes this wild power I feel like like that self-trust of like I know what I need and I know what I want and then you're able to go out and take action and like give yourself what you need and what you want so this idea of like just trusting yourself and building up that kind of gut reaction where you're like Mm -hmm. okay I I need this or I need, and it's always different, right? Like, like you said, like one day it might be a salad. The next day it might be a burger, but Mm -hmm. it's like knowing that no one is more comfortable and no one is a bigger advocate for you and your body than yourself. Yes. It's so true. And I love how you say like it unleashes a power in you because I think diet culture holds us back so much because what's the goal? Like we keep trying to shrink ourselves, literally trying to shrink ourselves. And when you can break out of that and sort of trust yourself, it really does create a whole new personality almost because you're spending so much less time worrying about trivial things like Mm -hmm. what size you wear, what you're going to have for lunch the next day. So I think I love how you say that just like unleashes your power and I think it's a good too if you're ever like looking for a dietitian or somebody to help guide you is that they shouldn't be telling you what to do. They can give you tools to work with, mm-hmm. but like at the end of the day you are the expert on your body and you you know what's right for your body or you're at least you're learning to know what's right for your body. Like I said, it's not a light switch. Like it's not going to be off and on one day. You're not just going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to like eat whatever I want. And then you're fine. Like mm-hmm. it takes a, a while and a lot of inner work and commitment, but definitely kind of breaks us free from like the box that diet culture and like puts us in. And I think it goes even like, I know we're on a nutrition episode, but I think like trusting yourself in general with, especially with how social media is today, I think it's really hard to do that. And I I definitely think it holds us back. And when we're able to put full trust in ourselves, it, it really, um, I don't know, helps us grow as a person. I agree. I also think it like just gives us more confidence. Mm Mm-hmm which is like, you can never have enough confidence nowadays with social media and just the comparison that happens and having like such an intimate view into other people's lives, I think is so unnatural, but it's just Mm -hmm. the way that we live. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's like, how are we not going to compare when we're looking, you know, and I like to say we're like consuming other people's lives. and, And I just think really, I know when I, I still diet, right? If I'm being honest, like I still engage in yo-yo dieting and I just know every time I'm in the thick of it, I have like never felt like I had less confidence because I wasn't trusting 
myself and I wasn't fueling my body. Like really, I probably wasn't eating as much calories. So I definitely had less energy, which definitely made me feel, you know, lethargic and like physically I wasn't feeling my best. Imagine everything else you could be focusing on if you weren't so like hell bent on on the next diet, you know, like you'd have so much more room to like think about other things and, and grow your confidence in other ways because confidence doesn't have to just be in what your body looks like. It comes from so many other different sources. And I think people lose sight of that sometimes, especially when, you know, there's bodies all over Instagram, thin bodies and muscular bodies. And it's hard to like separate that your your worth from your size because of that. A thousand percent. Something I took some notes before this episode, but something that I was like thinking a lot about and about worth and just what people remember, what I remember about people. And I was like thinking about like my really good friends, like my close friends and what I value about them and my relationship with them and how it's like their creativity and how they're funny and kind and uplift me and make me feel good. And like, when I leave an interaction, that's what I think about. I never think about like my friend's bodies and like how they look and what size they are. So I'm like trying to flip that script. Like thinking of yourself that way, like what are your qualities? Like I like your body should be the least interesting thing about you. Yes. It should be like, you know, you want to be remembered for more. And I always think that too, like when you're like in your eighties or nineties and like, you're looking back at your life, are you going to like, think about how thin you were or how you should have been thinner or how you like wish you stuck with that diet? Are you going to think about the way you made people feel and the friendships you made and like the love you've had in your life? Like that, those kind of things are so much more important. I think they're it's easy to lose sight of that in the moment, you know, when we're living our day-to-day life. But when you kind of look at the big picture, and that's so much easier said than done too, because it's not like, again, that you're just going to one day totally love yourself. But, and I think that's actually a good segue into our like body acceptance. Yeah, I just think like we're worth so much more than what we look like. And I think it's harder than ever to remember that with the way social media controls our lives right now. Now, even on TikTok, you can edit your body to like make yourself look thinner, like in a video. So mm-hmm. like really like you have no idea what you're looking at at any given time. Wait, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> you can. So media sucks. <laughs> Yeah. And like, it's so easy to edit your body. I'm going to be honest and vulnerable. I've a thousand percent edited my body before. I think most people have. What helps is people and creators who like post vulnerable pictures of themselves where they like really don't look perfect. Wait, there's this like trend. I don't know who started it, but there's this trend where they do two pictures. One, it's like posed and one, it's natural in the same exact position, but it's like them sucking in like you do for a photo and then just not and it's so it's like such a stark difference and it's so empowering like I love looking at that like yes this is like the fake like curated version of ourselves that we put on social media and then Mm -hmm. this is like what we look like in our natural existence Mm -hmm. I I love that trend so much I love that too because like 
you're unless you're posing for a picture, you're never going to like look the way you've contorted your body for that picture. And I think it's like it's so refreshing to see things like that because it just helps you in your everyday life. Like if you're passing a mirror and like you're a little slouch or you don't see things the way you like, it's like, okay, that's okay. Because yeah. like that's what it's supposed to look like. It's fine. Okay. The good old mirror pass. I know I was talking to you about this, but oh yeah, I every time I pass the mirror, I have to look at myself, and it's not even like an ego, like look at myself, like I look good. It's like I need to know how people like see me and and perceive me, and mm-hmm. it's like, it's so strange because I find myself it's it's almost embarrassing to say this. Like I, I, I every time I pass the mirror. I understand because I like recently had to check myself with that too, because I noticed that I do the same thing. You're right. Like it seems egotistical, but it's not. It's just like the the compulsion to mm-hmm. see if you've gotten thinner or to make sure you look thin enough. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what it is for you, but I think for a lot of people, um, that's what like body checking is what people call it. I think Wait, that's it. Body checking. Okay. I knew yeah. there was a term for it, but... Wait, I'm yeah. thinking about putting like a piece of paper on my mirror that says like stop, stop body checking. Yeah, so and that's when I walk by, I can like remember. Well, actually, like I always recommend to my clients putting positive quotes or like instead of saying like stop body checking, put something like you look good no matter what, or like you look great today. And oh, I, I think that, that like those sort of affirmations on your mirror. Because if whether or not like you believe it in that moment, you're still reading it and you're absorbing it. So the more you read it, the more likely you are to believe whatever you're seeing every time you look at yourself in the mirror. So try it. Yeah, I always would tell my clients that they like, put stuff on your mirror that like will hype you up and will make you feel good. It interrupts any negative thoughts that you might have. Like maybe you're thinking something bad about yourself and then it catches your eye and then you realize like, oh. It changes the course of your thinking, yeah. which is also a big part of all this inner work is like catching yourself when you're falling into an old pattern and correcting it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and then also like on this topic of like what we were talking about of body positivity and acceptance versus neutrality. And I just want to mention like something about body neutrality that I think has been really helpful for me is like looking at my body in a very kind of like removed and logical sense. So -hmm. like there are moments where like I really want to tap into the body positivity and I want to put the affirmations on my mirror. Right. And I want to like say like my cellulite and my curves and my hair and my acne and all of that is beautiful and it makes me me and it makes me whole and human and then on the flip side like I think there's times when I just want to be really logical and be like my legs like help me walk you know or it's like my hands help me paint and cook and I love to cook it's just like seeing our bodies as not like tied to our worth not tied to like any like okay I need to like feel really good and positive and worthy but it's like just the practicality of our bodies allow us to exist and live and have experiences. And like, that's why we should honor it. Yes, absolutely. And I think also like, as much as I love body positivity in the movement, and I think it has its place, I think 
it's unrealistic to think that you're always going to be positive about your body. And I think like sometimes if you're having a bad body image day, like the last thing you want to do is like turn that negativity all the way around to like, no, I look good. Like I look hot. It's like like toxic positivity. Yeah. And I think that's a criticism with the movement is that it's like not, it's not really, it's still perpetuating. Like I still look good. Like, whereas body neutrality is, I don't have to look good. Mm. I just have to be, I can be, without the expectation of having to feel good about myself. And sometimes it's, I can, I don't have to feel bad about myself. So it can go both ways. It's just like, I am. And I think they both have their place because I think it can feel really good to feel positive about your body and like feel sexy or beautiful or like whatever it is. But I also think on those days where you're not feeling so good, it might be easier to just reach for neutrality than it is to do that far reach all the way to positivity. Yeah. Oh, okay. That you like, do you know when someone says something and you're like, you just put into words how I feel. Uh, you just well, good. words how I feel. Well, it's true. Yeah. And it's true. Cause honestly, the days where I'm like embracing body neutrality are the days when I don't feel super confident. And if I, you know, am standing there and saying it, it would be a lie. So I settle on just the, like I'm saying, like the, like logistic practicality of like why my body is fucking awesome because it allows me to move and function. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think even some of the other affirmations you said, like, I am whole, like I am like, okay, like, or not okay, but like, like just those things, I think that can also fall into neutrality. Like, like I am safe. I am, that's another big thing I think with like when you're having a bad body image day, sometimes you just don't feel safe in your body or you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. Like, I think we've all had that feeling where you just look at yourself and you're just like, Oh, like I just, I like can't, or you get like a shiver and you're like, Oh, like, and I think, you know, to just be able to say like, I am safe. I am okay. Like I am whole. I think that can also fall into body neutrality. And I love how you said like my hands, like I use them for cooking. Like I think those are also really good ways to like value your body without focusing on your physical appearance. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's true. Our bodies do so much for us. Yeah, I feel that. Something I've been recently telling myself, which isn't, I mean, it could be related to body, but just in general, like this is very off topic, but just like in meetings at work and things like that, I'm saying, I say to myself, like, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to try my best. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be me. It's like those, yes. ones, which I think it, you can relate that back to your body where it's Definitely. like, I don't have to be a certain size or a certain weight. Like I just have to be right. Me. And however okay. I am right now is like how I'm meant to be. That's why my body is that way. And just yeah. kind of removing any any feelings at all, like positive or negative, yeah. and I feel like being in that neutral state is really tough because I feel like just as humans and like how society runs is we tie morality to everything, everything. It's like super binary. It's like, it's good or it's bad. And like, that's how we're raised to look at things. And I feel like we're so quick to judge and be like, well, this is good. And this is bad. No, I think it's so true. I think like, we are so quick to like sort things into those categories. And I think the word I like to introduce 
to my vocabulary is just enough. Like it's enough. I'm enough. I like, love- <laughs> I think that's like what, if anything, like I strive to do is to just like remind myself that no matter how I show up, like it's enough. Yeah. I love that. Um, I know we have a couple more questions, but I like decided in this moment, if you'll agree that we can do a part two with, yes. one, well, actually before we end, I really do want to get your top three tips for yes. any of the listeners. For myself, I'm like really interested in hearing these, um, your top three tips for someone, you know, struggling with diet culture with chronic dieting, with body image, et cetera. And then if you'll agree, we can do a part two where we can talk about some of these like lingering topics that we haven't hit on. Do yes, I Yay! absolutely. I could go on and on for hours, but okay. yeah, I'll give my top three tips. Um, yes. My number one tip, which we've talked about this throughout the episode, but accept your body mm. and um I think accepting your body as it is in this moment is one of the most important things that's going to affect how you eat and how you move. Mm. Um, You need to remove your body from the equation. So accepting yourself as you are right now in this moment, that's my first tip. Second tip is to find movement that you love and movement that you enjoy. Mm. You know, if you're hate, like, Personally, I'm not a gym person and I forced myself to go to the gym in the past and I was just never happy until I started doing things like walking and swimming and like cardio-based workouts. And I realized like, that's just what I prefer. It's what I like to do. And I think, you know, if you want to stay consistent with something and you want to feel good about the way you're moving your body, you just have to find something that you truly enjoy and it doesn't have to look like a conventional workout to be a good workout. And I think that also helps with accepting your body, um, as well. So that's number two. Um, and then number three is probably going to be a hard one, but it's to make a pledge to yourself to never go on a diet again. And that is the biggest way that you're going to break out of diet culture is by fully rejecting it. Um, so making a pledge to yourself that from this day forward, you're never going to crash diet again. And that doesn't mean that you're going to like go ahead and eat unhealthy or like lose yourself, Mm -hmm. but you know, it means that you're not going to put up with the abuse that diet culture puts us through anymore. So that would be my number three tip. So those literal mic drop. I love that. (laughs) But those three together, I think can really, um, Obviously, again, not going to happen overnight, except for the pledge to stop dieting. But um, those three things, I think if you work on those three, you really will start moving into a place of food freedom and trusting yourself. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing is just getting back to to trusting yourself and your body. Yes. I love that so much. And you know what? After this episode i'm gonna make that pledge to myself and, like, and you gotta like write it down and like yes. sign it so that you know that you're gonna do it like fucking binding contract shit like yes. I'm write it down and i'm gonna sign it because i honestly love that and i love that you said like like not 
not giving in to like that abusive because that's what it is. Yeah. It's like, like literally know, an abusive relationship. It is. And I know that that's like a really harsh word, but like that's like accurate. It is for for the way that people go back to it and back to it and back to it, yes. despite it never treating you living, right. <laughs> treating you right and living up to its promises. Yeah. It's basically diet culture is like a shitty ex-boyfriend that you're breaking up with now. Yes. Pledge that to yourself and make that promise to yourself. Oh my gosh. It will change your life. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like, oh my God. I don't even like you are such like a wealth of knowledge. Like this has been so enjoyable. I know my listeners are like probably so excited to hear this. Cause like I said, like talking about this in the open and not having it be this like taboo topic. That's like hush, hush is so important and that's why I like wanted to start this podcast to have these like raw and honest conversations that really do help us grow and I'm just so I'm so glad that you were also my first um I called you host in the beginning my first my first guest yes I would love to come back we have so much more we could talk about on this. Thank you so much. Um, I hope that all of you listeners really enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little bit longer than usual, but I mean, like, damn, like we could talk about this stuff. Yeah, forever. we could. Uh, <laughs> we probably wouldn't have been on here all night. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for tuning in. And just a final plug to please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you are tuning in. That's all for now. And I hope you all have a good rest of your day. Thank you.